Hey, it's time for the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. Looking forward to talking with you, almost literally, but at least virtually. And uh, also our guest this week, Michael Salamone. Fishing guide, yeah. Great insights in that world. Love talking fly fishing with him. But also our in-house snipe hunting expert. And this week we're going to talk blue grouse. Okay, I guess the American Ornithological Union now calls it the dusky grouse, but whatever it is, one of those forest grouse that you wish you had hunted or are hoping to hunt or something along those lines, we're going to learn all the strategy and tactics we can squeeze out of Michael in that regard. We'll also have your comments on, uh, let's see, what are we talking about? Why you go hunting? So if you were one of the Many, many, many dozens of people who answered that question on social media. Well, looking forward to sharing those things and maybe providing other people with insights. And the Upland Nation Puzzler and the new prize for this month, a Chief Upland Customizable Hunting Vest. It's all made possible. What did I say? (laughs) I guess I'm excited. Or maybe I had too much coffee. It's all made possible by Roughland Performance Kennels. Happy jock. Oh, man. Let's pick it up right there. It's all made possible by Roughland Performance Kennels, Happy Jack dog care products, pointer shotguns, and Dr. Tim's natural performance dog food, among others. And those others include... My good friend, Fred Bohm, the founder of Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products. Here's the address. You want to learn more about all the stuff they make. But also, if you want to learn more about how to take care of your firearms, from cleaning to repair to all the other stuff that's important to you on a daily basis, go to sageandbreaker.com. Excellent. I mean, the videos are beautiful, and they're well conceived so you will learn how to clean your gun the right way and then some of the stuff that they put in their blog including some of the things i've written over the years are in there with some incredible photography it's all at sageandbreaker.com and legacy sports they make the pointer shotguns learn more about their new models at legacysports.com I'm playing with them right now, and I will give you a full review once I've learned a lot more about them. But one of the things that already stands out is you can get them in colors. Yeah, all the metal, three different colors. Pretty cool. You will stand out loud and proud if that's what you want to do in the field. Cerakoted so that it uh, actually helps a lot in the corrosion resistance category as well. But they're so darn cool. Learn more about their semi-automatics and their over and unders pointer shotguns at LegacySports.com. Love talking with this guy, and I apologize in advance if we go down the fly fishing rabbit hole, our other passion. And he may have others, and we'll talk about that. (laughs) That's him in the background, by the way, laughing. 
I don't know why he's laughing because of that or because he's in Breckenridge, Colorado, having a good time or whatever. Michael Salamone joins me from somewhere in a resort e place. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing fantastic. It's good to hear your voice. I bet you are. This time of year, you know, that's that's kind of a place, it's kind of a shoulder season for them up there, isn't it? You, you know it is. Um, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough that it, uh, uh, it, it a little bit of work brings me over this way. So uh, on my way back home this afternoon, I'm going to uh, stop and see if I can t- chase some of these blue grouse uh, up in the snow country. We've already got a little bit of snow up in the high country and uh we've been having some luck uh following tracks in the snow and walking up on birds even uh i've got some neighbors that don't have a dog and they've been uh doing pretty well uh just hunting in the snow for blue grouse well there you have it and we will we will talk about that that will be the principal topic today but before we do congratulations you won a bunch of writing awards recently and in fact, uh, your Upland Almanac piece that we're going to talk about at length is one of those. Uh, uh, you are professionally, you pay the bills by being a fly fishing guide, but uh, we first talked when uh, we dispelled a few notions for a few people who maybe are new to this world. There, There is a snipe and it is huntable, and Michael is one of the guys who knows way more about it than most of us so thank you for your uh earlier interview and all the things we learned from that beyond all that i I really enjoyed that first podcast you know Um, thank you you're right it is uh it it is a myth for most people so it uh i i take a little bit of, of pleasure in uh educating some people and yes, uh, one of the methods we did not talk about for hunting snipe is to put the newcomer at the end of a deep, dark forest with a burlap sack and a stick. But <laughs> but most of us don't have the, I don't know what to call it, the cruelty in us for that. Um, you know, th- this podcast will be uh, live uh, right around Thanksgiving. So let's start with that, Michael. Hey, what are you thankful for in the bird hunting world? What is the thing that really gets you going and that you always reflect back on? You know, Scott, right now I am in the midst of, uh, my first hunting season with a new lab and it has been an extreme pleasure to, to visit old haunts that my old dog knows that are, just opening doors and broadening the hunting world for my new dog so some days when I'm going out you know I'm not as concentrated as much on birds as I am you know the experience and the hunt for the dog so I've been really enjoying that you know it's funny because mine my dog's four now and um and all the things that i've been trying to learn and teach for four years are coming together this season so i'm grateful for all of that hard work on his part that's finally coming to the fore in some of the ways that you know pointing dog owner wants staunchness retrieving you're you're used to you know labradors who retrieve a lot better than most of our versatile breeds so good on you it it it, it, was there a light bulb moment for that young dog for you and for him maybe uh, somewhere on a snipe hunt or a blue grouse hunt you know um we did we had a really fantastic day where uh the numbers were high on snipe and uh we were in uh, a good high alpine valley, way up high, like my article talks about. And uh, the other gentleman that was with me uh, is a devoted bird hunter, 
Um, so we had a day where he's got a young pup too. That's the same age where it just clicked for both of us. Uh, the numbers were there, the shoot, <laughs> their shooting was good. Let's put it that way. We were connecting on our shots. So, uh, everything that kind of came full circle on that day for, uh, both of those dogs. But, uh, um, you know, they're, they're not pointing dogs, but, uh, to get them out and get them in the country where we were, uh, magical. Absolutely. I, I'm just loving it that, you know, I, I've got what, what the Southerners, maybe, you know, this, uh, they got chicken skin, you know, that I got goose pimples yeah. all over me just hearing <laughs> that and, and th- thinking of some similar situations I, you know, the first point or the first retrieve for you guys or, you know, just watching them figure it out, you know, and, and, and the light bulb obviously is imaginary, but sometimes you can just see it in your, in their eyes. Can't you? Absolutely. And you know, without birds, I mean, you can hunt hard through the woods and not turn a bird up in a day. So without birds, it's hard to make a bird dog when you've got bird numbers that are high and we're able to get shooting over new dogs. It's just a win-win all the way around. We had a day like that a couple chucker hunts ago. Um, uh, Flick had been, you know, doing part of it there, part of it there, a little part of it there, and then all of a sudden, boom, you could hear the click. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm just excited, I, and I've related it already, so I won't bore everybody else with it. But, uh, but yeah. anyway, we're not here to talk chuckers. We're not here to talk snipe. We're here to talk one of the mysterious big birds that you probably hear flying away most of the time if you're an elk hunter or, <laughs> or something like that. Uh, Michael, you, you, you seem to, you seem to like these more obscure birds for some reason. What is that all about? You know, I like about any aspect of the wing shooting sports, and it seems like on some of these fringe birds, I've got good numbers and really no competition. Yeah. It's, it's un- unbelievable to uh, be able to have this kind of hunting, good dog work, beautiful country, and not see another hunter um, for a whole day. Uh, you know, and I'm hunting nothing but public land. You, you know, it, it must feel a little funny. I've been in a lot of those kind of places, even fishing, but, uh, but hunting as well. And, and it's got an appeal to it. That's spectacular. And you just described it right. But, but also there's a little bit of eeriness about this sometimes, uh, especially if you're there all by yourself, you look around and you think, and I joke about it, but I tell everybody, I carry enough stuff in my vest that if, if I break a leg, um, I'm good for two days, so my wife doesn't need to worry about me. By then, maybe the helicopter will get me, and if it doesn't, the the wolves will. Scott, <laughs> you're you're dancing on a a really good point. Um, a lot of times, I am doing a, a lot of these hunts solo, and there's concern from a, a spouse uh, uh, that you know um, you're out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, do you have the things that can take you through a night if you do have to spend one? Um, so it's good to hear you carry those in your vest. Yeah. And I, I, I urge everybody to, and when I was an assistant scout master, that became kind of my, you know, my obsession with, with all the kids. And, and I've written about that a few times and it's become a sidebar at least once and maybe twice in magazine articles as well. But, um, is there anything in your, uh, I'll call it a survival kit. Uh, I, I, I use the 10 essentials as the term here. What are you carrying that maybe we haven't thought about? 
Um, you know, uh, it, it might not necessarily be around bird hunting, but if you were cleaning birds in the field, it could be an issue. Um, I've had two good friends that have cut themselves pretty bad uh, cleaning elk, and I have uh, I've picked up a, a, a stitch kit that um, kind of um, tacks onto your own skin, and you can pull a, a laceration closed yourself. Um, because you're with one hand and more than likely you've probably cut another hand. So this was something I picked up at a, um, like a, a mountaineering kind of, uh, emergency thing. Oh, wow. I carry it in my pack and, uh, my daughter, I have to admit was the one that first pointed it out to me. And I wasn't sure if it was more gimmicky or if it was legit. And the more I've looked into it, um, I think it's called life stitch. And, uh, it's just something that you can close a wound with one hand if you're in a bad situation you know because more than likely you may not have that other hand working it might be the one you cut oh boy that is great i i love that idea life stitch probably but you guys can search it out if you need to you know the other thing along those lines i remember when this um <clears throat> i think the it's called abc it's it's a, it is a gauze that um that stops bleeding it's a blood clotting gauze is what it is and i i've never had knock wood i've never had the chance to use it and i think that's a good thing so you know those are things both of those probably weigh a quarter ounce altogether i was gonna ask what that that item weighed scott yeah because these are they're light items and uh just a couple of them in your pack can give you peace of mind and uh it might not necessarily be your peace of mind it might be your wife's yeah you know it's the and and who gives us permission to go yeah make her feel good yeah permission (laughs) definitely it's a permission my wife grants me and uh She's a saint. I'm sure yours, yours is as well. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if I should take this the wrong way or not, but I come back from the last hunt, and uh, and uh, we're talking about something related to it, and she says, well, when are you going again? I oh. said, <laughs> <laughs> I said is, is that permission? <laughs> I, I took it positively. <laughs> So, so anyway, so yeah, so as soon as we're done here, guess what I'm doing? <laughs> I, I hope it's going for truckers, sir, because that's something that uh, a wild trucker is something I need to scratch off my list. Well, listen, uh, scratching is the operative term there. I'm looking at hands and knees. You know, I, I feel like a little kid again. I have scabs on both knees right now. Don't ask. Well, I'll tell you why. This is so good. I got to share it. I just got to share it. I know we're going to talk about blue slash dusky grouse really we are everybody i promised you but michael since you brought it up so i'm a bad shot to begin with if you watch the tv show you know that but i'm working hard at it so we're on this we're on this slope it's 6700 feet high and and it's all rocks except for the sagebrush oh and the junipers that will get in the way of every shot so tom misses on on the bird that's way above me tom's about 100 yards uphill from me um funny how that works i always let him do the highest uh part (laughs) but um but i hear him shoot and i look up and i'm on these rocks there's you know a big field of boulders they're about bowling ball size and none of them are anchored so i look up and i see this bird coming my way and he's you know 50 feet up maybe 70 feet up by then so i in 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 the hopes that i can get a better 
foot position, I spread my feet out and I step on two boulders that promptly roll in towards each other, thereby landing me on my knees on two other boulders. And, and so I've got a new pair of uh, hunting pants on the way because there's holes in both knees of these now. And I'm on my knees, literally, as this bird flies over, just like one of those uh, driven grouse hunts in Scotland. Yep. But besides the foot position, which is now a knee position, which is sort of close to right, I got the gun in my shoulder in the right spot, and I close my left eye because that's how I shoot now. I'm left eye dominant, shoot right. And that bird dies in midair. I mean, it was one of those classic, it's like a cartoon shot. <laughs> the, you, you hit, the, you sh pull the trigger, the bird folds up its wings. You could see it close its eyes and it sails another 150 yards down the hill just on sheer momentum. Yep. So the, you know, the moral of that story is never give up, I guess. <laughs> no, no, my goodness. You know, when you get an opportunity like that um, and that bird folds out of the sky when you pull the trigger, it's almost a, a bit of surprise to yourself. <laughs> oh, oh any time I hit something, it's a surprise, a pleasant <laughs> one most of the time. And, and, and Tommy was so gracious about it. But, um, but we all had a good time. And Flick. He looked at me like my dog is named Flick. You know that now. Yep. Uh, yep. He looked at me like I was a, a god. <laughs> and he I got. I thought it was quite a fine that one because when they a high bird like that on a on a steep slope, it's amazing how much farther their momentum will carry them downhill. Yeah, and luckily Flick was uh, admiring me when I shot, not the bird. It was way out of his range. He wasn't pointing or anything, so he saw that bird die, and land. And boy, oh boy, that's his, that is his interpretation of heaven is, uh, oh boy, I get to run a long way, pick it up. I got a long retrieve so I can smell it and taste it the whole time. Yeah. You uh, see a smile on their face when they do that. Oh, absolutely. So enough about me. Let's go to, yeah, I mean, I'm right. Uh, blue grouse are no longer blue grouse, right? Correct, sir. They've, uh. They've been changed over to dusky grouse in the Rocky Mountains and along the western coast, um, what was previously blues is now a, a sooty grouse. And we're supposed to know the difference. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And, and but, but think about that, Scott. Just from one name change, yeah. all, all of a sudden people that are checking off life lists have two new birds they have to go after and accomplish and and another bird went extinct without anything ever dying. Yeah, and you know, that's probably how they're doing it over there at the American Ornithological Union. These are the folks who literally get together, have a convention, and decide to change the name of uh, of the the, the yellow-shafted flicker. To, <laughs> and now it's just a common, it, it's always been common, but now it's a common flicker. Or or the, um, the marsh hawk. Uh, Northern Harrier, and now we got these two, Sooty and Dusky. Uh, why don't you tell me what they look like? Let's just describe this thing. Put paint a picture for me, Michael. This is a pretty big bird. I mean, it is chicken size, and uh, they carry quite a bit of weight. Um, I mean, a, a mature bird's well going to be over three pounds. Um, broad, banded, uh, kind of a slate gray tail with a dark band on the end, like a rough grouse. Um, the, the fan can be quite a bit larger than a, a rough grouse. 
Um, they're sizable birds. Uh, you want to, you want to hunt them with good size shot. I've, uh, I've seen people inadvertently, you know, pull up with seven and a halfs and, uh, that bird just keeps flying away even on a visible hit. So you, you want to carry enough shot that you're, you're, you're dispelling the bird or at least knocking it down and giving your dog a chance to get on it. But uh, they're definitely a big, beautiful bird. The males have a, an orange comb over their eyes, and uh, they're a regal bird. Now, besides that comb, a bird flying away from you, you don't know whether it's a male or female, do you? Not really. Um, predominantly, the males are larger in size and the males are often found uh you know uh in solo um or, or maybe two together um the females are a little bit smaller may have a little bit more of a rough grouse kind of a, a a lighter appearance and uh they're often with uh family brood you know the the new of the year which are uh, also small they'll uh, do they like roughies will they break up uh, at some point late in the season or early in the winter and then start spreading out uh from those family groups you know the the, the males will i find that the all the females are pretty much the small hens it seems like will will we'll stick together um but those first winter males will start to split out and run and get away from the groups and those carryover males that are the larger birds that you're seeing way up high um they definitely um they they, they do their mating thing they're in the lex and then uh, they're off on their own they're kind of a solitary bird you you said lek and you know i never hear that term except with uh, sharpies prairie chickens and sage grouse the, these are dancing to one degree or another like them you know uh, to, to a certain point, I don't, I don't know about all the dancing because I haven't observed the mating behavior you know, as closely as I have. But um, when I refer to a lek, um, it, it's an area that uh, will, will find ground depressions with scat in them, mm. um, with droppings. And it's an area that the family group will kind of stay in for the late summer and most oh. of us you know, and and it's an, an area they just kind of inhabit for uh quite a while um not necessarily males but yeah. the family groups will definitely stay in a certain area um and i've talked to biologists and uh i've heard them kind of refer to it too so i don't know if it's exactly a term for a dancing area or sure. if that's exactly what what it is or if it's a a loose term they kind of use for like a, a home area for a family group okay i get that and and you got it too now everybody you're listening to the upland nation podcast i'm scott linden that's michael salamone we're talking about blue grouse dusky grouse sooty grouse whatever you want to call it these days and hey we don't care just call it something so uh, describe some of the habitat i mean how high are you going for these birds and and what's it look like up there um early season september when the season comes in we could be hunting them anywhere from down lower in the sagebrush and junipers uh, all the way up to uh, um, aspen, kind of intermixed interface between aspen and alpine pine. Um, as they have kind of a reverse migration for most birds, as winter comes in, they will move up higher and they will winter right up about, almost about timberline um, along high ridges, especially the males. Um, they'll start and eat a lot of pine then. Um, I, I have to admit, unfortunately, it does uh, 
affect a little bit of their ta- table quality once they start switching over to the, the pine needles. I believe it, and um, with, <laughs> I can relate. Sage grouse are a little bit the same, not as much as everybody thinks they are, but still true. Well, what about the rest of the season? What are they eating? The same things that ruffies eat? You know, um, uh, you, you hit a key point there. Um, that's how I hunt them is I follow mm-hmm. the food sources. Uh, early in the season, those family groups that are in the sage, uh, they're chasing grasshoppers. And as that cold comes in and the grasshoppers kind of wane, um, they start moving over towards fruit and green forbs. So they'll be eating a lot of little vaccinium and grouseberry and hortleberry and um, a lot of low-lying berries. Um, but there's some snowberries, uh there's quite a bit of um, there's some choke cherries I've seen them eat. Uh, uh, they, they, they eat uh, quite a bit of variety as that food as that fruit comes in, um, and when I can find that fruit, that seems to be the best birds we ever find. Oh, I can't imagine there being a better, higher quality, and more energy packed dietary component than that. So I'm I'm sure they're pardon the pun flocking to it when they can. Yeah, and that's when we can. We can get our dogs into those areas, and sometimes you can have a a significant amount of birds. Uh, The last hunt we had um, probably three weeks ago, we were in uh, an area that had dropped a lot of fruit, so the fruit wasn't necessarily still on the branch, but if you look down at the ground, you found a lot of the berry was still on the ground. Yeah. we put up 11 grouse that day. Wow. And you know, it's interesting you bring that up because I want to share a, a sharp tail story. I, I, no, this is a chucker story. Um, they, they're pecking around on the ground and, and they're finding, well, some forbs, some greenery, uh, seeds, of course, but those bugs too. And, you know, here's a question for anybody out there more expert than me. And maybe Michael Salamone is the guy. How the heck can these birds catch those fast-moving bugs? <laughs> you know, I've seen grouse chasing around, especially little ones, mm-hmm. chasing grasshoppers. And it is, it's, it, it, it's like a chicken running around in the, in the barnyard. Um, it's crazy. Uh, but they're also dealing with a lot of numbers. And, I just think that there's something stealthy about a bird that's down low. And I mean, that's their food source. They're, they're, they, they have to commit and have to make it, you know, uh, a, 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 a success or they're not going to make it to the fall. I, I, I envision a chucker or a blue grouse or any other critter that eats the, the bugs being a little bit like that heron on the edge of a stream, just still until that bug comes in or boom. Yep. I, I, I have seen quite a few of them, you know, try to try to hit one and miss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you hear that clickety clack of the grasshoppers that flies away and the bird kind of, you know, oh, well, off to the next one. Yeah. yeah. Well, like you said, there are there are a hell of a lot of them out there. So I'm sure that works. Uh, we're talking uh, to Michael Salamone, award winning outdoor writer. Uh, by the way, give me a highlight. Something is something you won recently, Michael. Absolutely. Um, the Rocky Mountain Outdoor Writers and Photographers Association that I'm a member of had their fall conference recently, 
and uh, I submitted a, a couple pieces for published magazine or newspaper pieces, and I won a first place and a third place in the published magazine pieces. The third place was for um, the blue grouse piece that was an Upland Almanac, and the, the first place was for uh, a piece that appeared in Trout Unlimited's magazine, Trout, called Summer Smoke. Love it and missed that magazine when I first moved to Bend, Oregon. One of my good friends was the editor of Trout Magazine way back in the day. Hello, Tom. If you're listening, I hope you're well out there. Where are you now? S Seattle somewhere, anyhow. Um, this is the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. Uh, Michael, take a break. Uh, pour yourself a half, a half a cup of coffee. That's all the time I'm going to give you because I'm going to carry on here, pay a couple of bills, and bring you right back. We've got a lot more to talk about, including, um, let's see, why um, what you learned last weekend on your – no, we're going to talk about why we hunt – and I'm going to give away a uh, up, Chief Upland vest. So stick around, everybody, and uh, Michael will be right back. In the meanwhile, happyjackinc.com is my go-to source for all the things I need when I can't or don't want to go to the veterinarian. You know, there's a time and a place for veterinarians, and God bless them. They've stayed up really late or gotten up really early with me and my dogs over the years. But once in a while, you can solve your own problems if you have that stuff at hand. And I do. I have a whole bag full of stuff to take care of my dog. If you watched my last video, you know that. Inside that bag are these things that I used last weekend. And I use some of them every weekend. But here's the four I used last week on yet another, oh, bruising chucker hunt. I used that seal and heel to cover up a wound on Flick's thigh. And he didn't lick it after that, and so it healed faster, and it was covered up so you didn't have to put a bandage on it either. I used DD33 in some of the tall sage because that's where the ticks like to hang out and climb onto my neck and Flick's whole body. Skin balm is the stuff I spray on his pads after a hunt. It just feels good, cools him down a little bit. And I start every morning with happy jack pad coat goes on his pads and it makes him a little more supple and a little bit more able to handle all that rough terrain we're hunting on lava we're hunting on volcanic terrain most of the time pad coat does the job learn more about all of those at happyjackinc.com and water out here in the West is uh, a critical ingredient for everybody, including the dogs. That's why I like Roughland Kennels. Not only do they make the world's first performance kennels, they also make some of the best roto-molded accessories, including their water topper. Holds about nine gallons. It goes on top of my Roughland Kennel. So I can carry a lot of water, so much so that when we finished that hunt that I described to Michael with the one bird I shot, we were able to hook up the hose and spray off both dogs and cool them down real fast. It's all at roughlandkennels.com. Learn more about what they've got there and all the new colors of their crates as well. Okay, with that in mind... I will bring back award-winning outdoor writer and friend of the show, Michael Salamone. Michael, what are you looking out the window at right now in Breckenridge? 
Uh, I, they're blowing some snow on the base of the hill here, trying to get ready for ski season. Okay, I, I'm scared of this sort of thing. I'm not quite <laughs> sure if I buy into this idea of manufacturing snow. But, man, if you're a skier, I bet you're pretty stoked. You know, um, it, it's kind of nice. Uh, we do have a bit, a bit of snow uh, up high that uh, is feeling pretty good. Um so I, as far as I'm concerned, I'd like to see it, Scott, because I know that snow up high there right now will be my river next next summer. You know, and when you're intimately associated with the ultimate uh, end result of it, you are absolutely right. It's it's a lot more gratifying. I was in a place that um, that I uh, you know kind of my church, if you will, in the outdoors and thinking about all sorts of things, including the fact that there was already snow up there. And next time I'm there, I got to take the picture of Flick with that mountain in the background. That'll be the fifth wire hair with that portrait. I'm so looking forward to it. And it'll be ready next time. At least the art director and me think so. So we'll see. <laughs> That sounds like a great photo. Yeah, this is the Upland Nation podcast. We're talking uh, blue grouse, uh, sooty grouse, or dusky grouse. If you're one of those bird species snobs, we don't care. You can call them anything except late for snowberries, I guess. Um, We talked about their size, their appearance to a great degree, where they're hanging. What about uh, your hunting strategy? Michael, if you're going out there and you've got a Labrador, so it's a little different game than maybe some of us, but you look at a place and you say, okay, I'm going to go that direction, then I'm going to do this, and I'm going to have my dog do that. What are those things? You know, um, I have to admit, Scott, as... uh... As I've aged, we've been trying to hunt a little bit smarter, and we've been, uh, uh, probably in the last six years or so, we've been employing uh, a two-car approach to things where we're leaving a vehicle down where we can hunt from way, way up high and hunt down to another vehicle and not necessarily have to kill ourselves going back up high um, when we're hunting at nine, ten thousand 10,000 feet. the the altitude really can take a toll on you and your dogs too your dogs just don't make it throughout the whole day you know Uh, i i I never thought about that until this last uh last hunt at at 6700 that's probably the the highest chucker hunt i've done in a long time the dogs are as affected by altitude as we are we we just we don't think about that do we no uh -uh. i'm I, i find that uh uh you may you may see your dog stopping and sitting down a little bit more Mm -hmm. um I, I, I do have to admit, I'm hunting with a lab, another gentleman that's a devoted boat, a bird hunter. Um, he has a lab puppy that's the same age, but we also have a, a, a third in our group that has a, um, a, a GSP, uh, the, and his German short hair is, uh, he's 10 years old, so he's kind of been the professor that we've been uh, following this fall. We've been relying more on him to cover that bigger ground. Um, the labs are staying closer to us um and it's been a learning game with uh, the young dogs uh uh as a crossover we're trying you know we, we do use them uh as versatile dogs we hunt a tremendous amount of upland and we hunt a tremendous amount of waterfowl well you mentioned that short hair and just because german dogs are near and dear to my heart um how do you how do you guys integrate a a, a big running pointing breed with uh with your labrador for example you know it is big country that we're in um 
the the labs will stay closer to us we will stagger our, our our approach but in such big broken country like we have here in colorado uh, we may be out of sight of each other but uh, uh we all seem to be having uh younger kids so we keep seeing each of us wearing a little bit more orange every time we go out yeah. um, and you know what scott i do want to uh, i do want to put this out there um grouse season's in right now and it goes to the end of uh the 28th of November, but there are big game hunters that are in the woods and there are so many grouse hunters that walk through the woods in a Filson Brown or in a Carhartt Brown that really looks a lot like elk. And I, I, I just want to emphasize to people that when you're hunting uh, in places like that and there's a big game season going on, I want to have orange on. I want to have my hat. I want to have my vest. I, I want to have orange. Yeah, I don't blame you at all. And, you know, the other thing to remember, I remember the first few years I was a rough grouse hunter. Um, I'd run into the deer hunters out our way. Uh, same thing. I've got as much orange as I can put onto my bird dog as well. Yes, and that's a great point, too. Um, my dogs don't necessarily wear vests all that much, but when I'm dealing in that season, you know, where there's could be a crossover hunters, I want them to know that, that, that that's my puppy, you know? Um, yeah. So I agree with you on the, on the orange on a dog as well. Um, we have uh, orange collars that are kind of, you know, uh, a little bit more, like, kind of iridescent, you know, that fluorescent kind of orange. Yeah, that, yeah even sparkles like a chartreuse kind of and and i think that helps but um the german short hair wears a vest my, my labs don't necessarily like to wear uh wear a vest my my big old lab he's a he's 110 pounds and uh he feels like he's just warm enough already yeah and th there is that gripe that a lot of people have what i i if nothing else everybody knows me for my orange bandana well flick has one as well and yep. so we get another you know eight or ten square inches of orange somewhere on there and then other people are using a bell and other people are using other yep. things and a, a, you know hey whatever floats your boat from a safety standpoint i'm i'm behind all of it um but so you're you're out there are you are you are you developing a plan before you guys go into the woods or is it just walking around having carrying a gun no we definitely have a a, a bit of an agenda and an area that we're going to plan on uh, covering uh, a direction that we're all planning on going um and then uh, we will regroup uh, at certain points and then uh, uh readjust our approach you know um as our hunt progresses um are we finding food uh or is the food already gone you know we're kind of assessing the situation as we move along why are why are we not moving birds well we're not seeing you know the, the food source or, or or certain things like that or, um so we we, we we may adjust the hunt you know as that kind of feeds out and, and we read it but um it's... you know uh, uh i'd have to say that uh when we're in the field we kind of let the dogs kind of dictate it yeah yeah you know I, I joke about it but it's absolutely true they have longer noses than us and there's way more scent receptors in any nostril they have than all of ours put together you got to trust them to a great degree um are they i mean are you finding these birds at the base of a tree are they in the thick stuff i mean where where do you discover blue grouse when you are actually hunting them because most people discover them as they're elk hunting and they scare the hell out of them from behind 
<laughs> Absolutely. Um, there's a tremendous amount of birds that will wait for you to walk by and then flush up behind you. And that one does kind of startle you a little bit. Um, and I find that there's a lot of hunters that that flail that first shot at a startled bird. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily their best shot. And the report from that first shot will put up a second bird. And then they'll hurriedly <laughs> try and flail a, a second shot, you know. Or as, have you, you know, been have you been watching my TV show? <laughs> <laughs> or if you wait a second, you might actually have a really good easy shot at that second bird if you let that first one go. But I tell you, that first one, they're masters of putting a pine tree between you and them. Yeah, yeah. Do now will they be will they hang in the trees? Will they sit on a branch and stare at you like the ruffies will? Tremendous amount. They will. Some people kind of think they're naive birds because of that fact. Um they will fly up and roost into trees. Um, if you do watch a bird that flies up into trees, I would definitely recommend that you go after it. Most of the time, those birds are a little bit spookier. So as you and the dogs approach the general area or the tree trunk that they might be in, they're going to fly away. They're probably not going to sit up there too much longer, uh, especially if it's a bird that you already threw some lead at. Sure. So he's, you know, once burned, twice shy. Um, yes. How about your friend with the short hair? How does a how does a blue grouse behave with a pointing dog? You know, um, what we found is his pointing dog has kind of developed a nose where he's sending these dogs from a, a, a considerable distance. Now, we're not talking 10 or 15 feet in front of his nose. I mean, we're talking maybe 15, 20 yards. So what he's done is this dog doesn't bump birds Yeah, as he's, as he's kind of pointing from a distance and we're not necessarily looking for that bird immediately in front of him. He's not necessarily pointed with head down like you would be with a woodcock right in front of him. Um, he might be more with his head up a little bit with a higher point and we'll be looking out in front for, is there some type of structure? Is there a bush? Is there shrub? Is there a rocky outcropping? Is there a, a down tree root ball, perhaps? You know, um, these birds will kind of gravitate towards structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems like when we do flush them, they're almost always around some type of tree, rock, bush, juniper. Um, they're not flushing up uh, out of uh, open grass like we do with our sharp tails. Yeah, I get it. And, uh, you know, it's funny you bring that up. And I was going to say, you know, it's just like fishing. You know, if if I look at a stream, I don't know. First place I'm going to go is to something that gives that trout a little bit of security, I guess. Yeah, um, I, I think um, I know uh, around some of the some of the rocky scree fields yeah. that we do. Um, I, I just personally, you know, there's certain parts on the river that i could get you know oh i get a little amped up when i see these kind of this kind of structure on a river well when i'm out bird hunting if we come across a rocky kind of a scree field that's uh rolling down into the to the high alpine kind of pines um that's one of those spots where i'm like oh i get a little excited i think that they hide in that rocky kind of pile that it gives them nooks and crannies to avoid predators you know i i can't i can't agree more uh, and it was driven home to me 
so far all season in the Chucker Hills. I, I don't know what they're called, but they're, it's, it's bigger rocks than scree, but those big long strips that, you know, you've seen them, I've seen them. They go from way up high and they just go down as if somebody just poured a whole bunch of them out there. And we found, uh, we found uh, Chuckers in those at least a dozen times already this season. So they are, and sometimes it might be the warmth uh, because they're dark, they attract that solar radiation. Another, yep. t- another time, it might be the shelter from avian predators. Uh, whatever it is, isn't it great that we finally discovered that? Oh, it's fantastic. I think um, I think some of those little nooks and crannies and caves may even hold moisture oh. a, a little longer than uh, other places. Um, I, I, I got a gentleman walking here beside me right now at the english springer spaniel i might have to go talk to him and leave you got uh, uh, no, 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 i won't i won't take it personally uh no but uh, I, I agree with those scree fields um and, and it's not quite like you're saying it's not small rock it's it's a little bit bigger rock and it does it looks like somebody poured it out of the bucket or kind of crumbled the top of the mountain and it kind of just you know fell right down into 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 the trees um uh I, it, it's been unique you know, and it's something different that we've definitely been paying attention to. Well, I, I'm jealous because you're up there uh, way higher than I ever get, and you're seeing birds that I seldom see. We did jump a snipe a couple oh, weeks ago, believe it or not. Uh, figured it out after it was out of range, of course, but we did jump one, and, and now I know, and I'll be ready next time because we're going back there in December. But uh, uh-huh. all the things that you and I talk about, I'm I'm just so fascinated by because they're so foreign to so many of us, and that's one reason I love talking with you and sharing what you know with everybody else. If you had to leave us with one more bit of advice regarding sooty slash dusky slash formerly known as the artist formerly known as blue grouse you know <laughs> i mean what just bubbles to the top all of a sudden um i i think that they are a trophy bird i think when you start talking about uh upland hunting and if you're a really devoted bird hunter you know pheasants yeah they're king we all love pheasants rough grouse what a unique bird but to capture and harvest uh, a mature male blue grouse um i mean that, that's a bird that someone's probably going to want to consider calling a taxidermist well there you go it's one of those holy grails in the bird hunting world of course they all are for me every one of them is a trophy and i'm sure michael salamone thinks the same thing you can learn hey if i want to learn more about you what's your yep. website where do i go to learn more about michael Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I have my own website. It's uh, michaelsalamone.com. Salamone is S-A-L-O-M-O-N-E. And uh, I'm also uh, on, uh, for Vale Valley Anglers, uh, I'm one of the uh, professional wade and row guides for Vale Valley Anglers, and I've got my own bio page uh, on Vale Valley Anglers as well. There you go. Learn more about him, and of course, read his articles. Um, sometimes in the same issue, but often following or uh, preceding one of my articles in the same dang magazines. So, um, but in fact, I'll I'll allude to that. I got one coming up in the next Upland Almanac called Chasing Sasquatch, and I'll just leave you with that for fun. But anyway. Michael, always great to talk with you. The The season's winding down for you in many ways, but that means you finally get to like get your uh, 
fly fishing vest reordered and your dogs resting a little bit. Uh, I'm thankful this time of year for guys like you I get to talk to, and I'm sure everybody else is as well. Be safe and have a great holiday season. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Scott. Take care. You too. It's always a pleasure talking with you and all the things you talk to me about. In fact, we're going to talk about that coming right up. I asked you why you go hunting. So let's share some stories on that in a moment or two. First off, though, Dr. Tim's natural performance dog food. People, at, I, I get an email or a Facebook message once a week. I want my dog to be better at hunting. And the things you can do the rest of the year are the things you ought to be doing right now. Put him on a good food. Make sure he's in good condition. Make sure he's geared up right. I talk about pads a lot, but there's other things like that. But mainly, put the right fuel in his tank. Dr. Tim's Natural Performance Dog Food is my choice. Flick gets the momentum formulation. It's 35% fat. I mean, 35% protein, 25% fat. There's not an ounce of fat on this dog. He looks like, I mean, he should be the poster boy for German wire-haired pointers. But enough about my dog. Go to drtims.com, D-R-T-I-M-S.com. Read the ingredient list for any of the formulations that look like they make sense for you. Realize that fat is critical, especially the right variety of marine and animal fats. But also realize that if your dog food's ingredients include, quote, rendered fat, unquote, I'd run away as fast as I could. That could be anything from euthanized animals to roadkill. So fat is good. Rendered fat, sometimes called tallow or lard, are scary ingredients. Learn more at D-R-T-I-M-S. 30% off your first order. Just use the code UPLANDNATION. They'll deliver right to your door. Yeah, I encourage you to take a long, hard look at your dog's food and what's in it. Thank you. And Dr. Tim Hunt thanks you as well. Okay, I promise a new prize. Uh, this month, the month of November, I'm giving away a Chief Upland customizable front-loading technical upland vest yeah it's something that you will use and use and use in the uplands and everywhere else you need to carry all that stuff simple question you're entered to win when you message me on facebook learn the answer at findbirdhuntingspots.com what is one of your 10 essentials or something in your survival kit that's all i want to do I want to know that you've got one, and I want you to be honest. Tell me what's in it. Just one of the items in there. Message me on Facebook with one of your 10 essentials, one of the items from your survival kit. Good luck, and, well, uh, I hope you learn something at the same time. Apropos of the Thanksgiving season, which morphs into... Halloween on one end and Christmas on the other. Can you believe that? Why do you go hunting? Well, me, it's my hunting partners and the great company they are. We have the, we solve the problems of the world. Maybe you do too. And then the other people I meet along the way from Cactus Smith and 
Larry Blair, reformed cattle rustlers, to Jake and Tiff and Lily and Jim and Neil, who I all ran into just standing on the street in downtown Fields, Oregon last weekend. They come from all over and we see each other once or twice a year somewhere else. Thank you all for being my friends. How about yourselves though? Kevin Butler says it's what I do. More for my dogs as I get older. Rick Calabro says I go because it's the cheapest therapy. I enjoy the power of the dog. I love that line, Rick. Thank you. And to share the sport with my family and introducing the dynamics of relationship, bird, habitat, dog. Tysani says in the grouse woods is the one place in this world where I always feel like I am right where I am supposed to be. I mentioned my church earlier and he's got one as well. Uh, From Instagram, Pointers Upland Life says for the love of a bird dog, soaking in everything it has to offer absolutely right thank you all i wish i could keep talking on that one but you know i got another one coming up that is going to be more than just talk it's an upland let's see where it's going pointing dog journal um writing a story for them asking a lot of people about oh um what they regret so far yeah i know it never ends does it so if you want to get in on that discussion go to the facebook pages in fact now's a good time to remind you that that's where we talk all day every day wing shooting usa and upland nation facebook pages so if you want to discuss that or any other topic that's where we start this part of the show is brought to you by findbirdhuntingspots.com new material every week to help you find places to hey hunt what a concept glad to share them i make no bones about it that's how we keep our keep our sport alive and bring others into it i thank you for listening please tell a friend that's how we grow and we're growing exponentially right now want to leave a rating or a review especially at apple podcasts that's another way we grow because people look for the highest rated podcasts your help is most appreciated I said it once and I'll say it again. I'm thankful all year, not just this time of year, for your support and your attention. I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for joining me at the Upland Nation podcast. Hope to see you soon in the field.